Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. We are Brian, Vince, and Zach, and we are not doing a normal show tonight. We are doing a look back on Crisis on Infinite Earths. This is the beginning of us reading all seven of DC's crises, as well as a couple of other fun additions in there. Um, so boys, let's start with just a, a sort of a brief primer on your Crisis on Infinite Earths history. Zach, have you read Crisis before, or is this your first time reading it? No, yeah, I read it about 10 years ago for the first time, and I've not read it since then. Vince, what about you? Yeah, I read it in college, so that would have been, you know, 10 or 12 years ago. I, too, read it in college, though that would have been, like, 16 or 17 years ago for me. <laughs> oh, man, you you go to college, and you get your... You get your Crisis on Infinite Earths, and you get your you get your Communist Manifesto, and then you're just <laughs> off to the races. You get your Animal House poster. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say your college T-shirt. <laughs> same, same joke, essentially. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, so yeah, let's let's talk about sort of the 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 time and space that all this is taking place. So. DC was trying to find a way to simplify its continuity and it brought in Marv Wolfman and George Perez to basically be the like the showrunners for this event with Wolfman really being the the key to this and while it so how can I say this I find it really interesting how much I liked this because this is essentially not in execution but in uh, I in concept very similar to Flashpoint. Like the the ultimate goal of this was not that dissimilar from the goal of Flashpoint, but this is done just so much better that it seems blasphemous to compare the two. But w- would you guys agree that the sort of overall, like the broad picture, the big picture rather, broad strokes idea is the same for both of these? Yeah. Hmm. Yes and no. I think like Crisis was about. Well, actually, maybe yeah. More actually, maybe I lean more yeah. I was gonna say no at first because Crisis was more about like streamlining what was, but also kind of like uh, honoring everything and and kind of it, it was a celebration. Whereas Flashpoint was about making things accessible also, but it was just purely destructive and also a lot smaller. A lot smaller in one sense, but in another sense, I mean, like... I mean, I mean, like, just in terms of the scope of the story. Sure, okay. okay. Yeah. Like, the focus on one character, um, much shorter, um, that that sort of thing. Vince, would you agree with that basic generality? Yeah, I think so. Although, like, I also think that that there are other events that are attempting to do that. I, I see that comparison with, with every DC event that attempts to reorder the universe into something that makes more sense than it did before. You know, where the where the where the 
where the purpose of it is not necessarily the story being told, but the outcome being what they perceive to be better for the publishing line. Sure. sure. It's more about the ends than the means. Mm-hmm. And I don't think um, flash, I don't think flashpoints the only one to lay the claim to that, but no, but, sure. Yeah. But what I'll say is, um, is that flashpoint, you know, crisis had a more staggered release schedule of new books afterwards. You know, like there were some books coming out that were still sort of set in the old continuity and eventually things slowly shifted over. Whereas Flashpoint was a clean break, but it's Flashpoint's the only other of DC's crises, crises that attempted to really rewrite like the whole of the DC universe. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you guys uh, want to start in our discussion of this? Well, one one thing before we move on, this kind of like gets to a question that I kind of hoped that we would talk about towards the end of this and kind of like as we go along is like what makes a crisis and like what what are kind of like the definitive aspects of a crisis and obviously like this book is going to kind of set that, but there there are things that are in this story that are in some crises but not you know some things that aren't in all crises and so i think that's going to be something to kind of something kind of interesting to talk about as we like move through all of these because i think we'll find some books are more deserving of the of the title than others yeah i'll agree with that um but but clearly this is the this is the most deserving yeah, this is wild. This is wild <laughs> for for a lot of reasons. Uh, Vince, do, wanna, go ahead. Sorry. Do, well, I was going to say, do we want to do like a rough issue by issue? You know, not necessarily summarizing it, but kind of maybe the high points or what issue, what each issue kind of meant to the overall whole, or is that too is uh, that too microscopic of a look at this? That's up to you, Bubba. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> um. Okay, so do we want to talk about how how this all begins? Sure, go for it. Sure, yeah. All right, so so the very first thing you see, which which man, back when I was in college, I would not have known what the hell any of this was, you know. <laughs> um, in fact, it's kind of kind of comical that I read this back then. It was it was one of the first um, comic DC comics things I read that wasn't essentially a standalone story you know like i had i had read uh, that's what, interesting what what, what? well that's interesting because i had the opposite experience um uh. i actually read this after i had caught up with a lot of like the current like dc stuff at the time and i knew everything that happened in this from wikis before i even read it oh really okay yeah yeah see i had read like i had read like the frank miller batman stuff and Watchmen and uh, <clears throat> Kingdom Come, you know all the stuff you were supposed to read. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. And then I read this because this was also like a thing you were supposed to read, except with you know no prior knowledge of the actual DCU and not just like Elseworld shit. Um, so the Crisis on Infinite Earths opens with the destruction of Earth Three and the Crime Syndicate and. I can't remember what I thought, you know, 10 years ago, but 
returning to it today, I was all about this. I was like, this is awesome. What a way to start. Uh, because we, we had seen the crime syndicate and we, I mean like the general, we, the crime syndicate existed before this. Mm. Um, I believe they, I believe they were in some of those, uh, uh, like golden, early golden age. There was a, there was at least one golden age crossover with them in it. I believe. Do you, can you, can either of you call bullshit on that? Or no, I'm, no. I'm looking right now. No, I, I feel like you're the uh, you're the continuity guy pre-crisis for sure. <laughs> um, but um, they were they debuted in Justice League 29 and 64, so they more Silver Age, but sure, or, yep, yep. So yeah, sort of, yeah, yep, yep. Um. Yeah, the yeah that line gets murky for me, but um, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Sure, <laughs> but yeah, they're old. They've been around, right? They're, but they were around before this. Is the point? And um, so, just for for this comic to start off with the destruction of that Earth is kind of genius, I think, because like that that's an Earth that they if if their if their intent was to condense this down right into one Earth. That's an easy earth to get rid of, but it's also like an interesting and impactful one too. Well, you know, yes. it's not a throwaway. That's what I was going to say about it is that it feels like when we talk about the multiverse, Earth 3 is one of the like six or seven earths that always gets talked about, right? Wouldn't you agree with that? It's one of the marquee uh what to, what to talk about when you talk about the multiverse. Yeah. <laughs> uh you know, so you're right, Vince, but it's also one that, like, I don't think anybody's favorite characters came from Earth 3, right? So it's not, there's not a huge emotional connection to the destruction of it, but it, it seems important when you destroy it. Right, exactly, yeah. And it's not like, yeah. like, you've got Earth 1 and Earth 2, which each have characters that, at that point, had, you know, a decade of stories or whatever, or more than that. Decades of stories. Decades, yeah. Yeah. And so you can't just wholesale get rid of either of those. So you've got Earth 3. That's just that's just such a great way to introduce all this, I think. Um, so you're immediately captivated. And I think the way that they do it is really good, too. Like, um, uh, first of all, they all look so similar to the Justice League characters that there is some sort of tacit emotional tether even if they're not the same characters you know so like the part that really gets me is when ultraman is running into the uh antimatter and and he says i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do the same thing i always do which is fight to the very end and even though he's a bad guy from earth three where everything is flipped in that moment he's got that like smile and twinkle in his eye like superman right and him saying i fight to the very end is such a superman thing which tells you right away it's such a brilliant piece of writing because this may be a different superman but this is the superman of this earth and there's something across these earths that is inherent to all of them no matter how twisted that they otherwise are you know <laughs> Yeah, he's also uh, he's rocking those shoulder pads too. <laughs> yeah, I never really cared for that design. <laughs> a lot not, of these, these, these like costume. 
yeah, these like pre-Crisis Earth three designs are pretty funny. Like Owlman has that actual owl head <laughs> for a cowl, uh, which is really funny. Um, and the the Lex Luthor of Earth three <laughs> cracks me up. He's like a I weird like rocketeer but like very like all primary colors and everything it's really funny that well, is actually one of my favorite costumes because we never see it you <laughs> never see it anymore yeah. you know yeah. never like when's the last time we saw that luther oh i, I don't know if we here maybe, maybe. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe here I'm, I'm surprised that they don't like bring him into things just as a joke sometimes. Oh, for sure. I'm kind of surprised that, like, you know, maybe when, like, John's brought Earth 3 back in the New 52, we didn't get, like, an homage to this or something. Yeah. You know, or, or like, when, or even more so, like, when Robinson did it in his Justice League run. For sure, yeah. Because we, yeah. get, get, we get Alexander Luther all the time. All the Not time, all the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All the, yeah. No, he, yeah. he's, he's yeah. very commonly used. He is, um, yeah. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to say about this section that is really important, I think, is that it does the the Superman um, reimagining, like the the well, I, yes, I, I was going to say that survival of a of a doomed world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's an that's just an excellent. This first issue really features some of the best writing, I think. Um, mm. As as we go on, I like I love this event. I think it's great pretty much all the way through some of the issues are a little weaker than others because they, they seem like they're playing more for time or they're more of a, they're more of an exercise in seeing how much they can jam into an issue versus, versus t- having really strong moments of writing like this, you know? Sure. But well, the, the one yeah. thing I, I, I want to say before we get off of it too much about Lex Luthor over three is if our listeners go to multiversitycomics.com and search Breaking Bad, there was a Breaking Bad art feature we did right before the show ended, and our friend Ryan Brown did something called Heisenborg, where he made like a cyborg uh, Heisenberg, and he looks almost exactly like uh, Earth-3 Lex Luthor. So. That's really funny. Let's look that up. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that... So for me, like, yeah, this first issue is really good, and then I think this, I think this first section really drags a lot like this first maybe like four issues worth of story really dragged for me Mm. the recruiting process and yeah yeah and actually maybe even like the first half of the series and then it really picks up once you get to the the seventh issue i think and from there on out i think it just like just slaps the whole time you know it just like doesn't <laughs> stop um but i actually like i kind of like want to talk about the structure of the series and how it it's actually like goes through so many different status quos and in a modern event would be like okay this section would actually be the whole event and yep. then we would get a year's worth of stories that is this status quo mm-hmm. and then we would get another event that is like the second section well, of crisis go off king you can Okay, okay. Well, like, yeah, well, like, so first, you know, we we have this first section, which is like, like you guys mentioned, the kind of the gathering of all the heroes and the, they're all going around to protect the, the like cosmic tuning forks or whatever. Um, And then, and then all of that happens. That's like the first four issues, I think. Um, And then 
then issue five is that when that's when the earths have have the earth started to combine at that point like is that where we're down to the last five earths or is that yeah that's earth five or um issue five is when the monitor dies and he sends earth one and two into the nether netherverse or whatever it's called right and, and they are still they are the three other worlds, right? Yeah, because din- dinosaurs save. are walking the earth, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's like the first status quo break, where like you now have this status quo where time is all messed up, and and you have um, those two Earths together, but then there are the three other Earths that they have to protect, and yeah. then then you go and. Yeah, yeah, then you go into the, like, second act, which is them going up and actually facing the anti-monitor um, and kind of ending with the big climax. And then you get that, like, great follow-up issue with the Flash. And then you get to, like, this new section where um, the Five Earths are all together and the villains are off are like kind of combining which is basically like it's like the year of the villain it's like if the first half of the book had happened and then we could then we would have had a year where the villains are all teaming up to like fight everybody or it at least would have been like another six issue miniseries or something you know <laughs> yeah um but instead it's like two issues in the in the course of this like massive event and there there's just like clear sections where you have these massive status quo shifts that could have propelled you know today like a year's worth of stories um and so like i feel like this book kind of balances between weird decompression where you have just like just pages of characters doing nothing really you know just kind of like especially in those first few issues you know you have all these characters just like dozens if not hundreds of characters protecting these machines Uh uh-huh and it's you're just kind of like waiting until you could have that payoff of like what the machines are but then you have just like what could be whole other mini series or you know, line-wide events, like uh, status quo shifts compressed down into one or two issues. So it's just it's so unlike anything else that we see now. Yeah, there are a number of times when if you were reading this as it came out and you got to the end of a certain issue, you would feel like, okay, the event's over now. Yes. <laughs> and then, yeah, no, ex- and that's what I meant. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Like, I think once you get to the end of... I think it's issue seven, the one where Supergirl dies, and you get to the end of that. It's kind of just like, it seems like the anti-monitor could be dead. Um, everything is okay now. That like, other than other than like everybody's sad, you know. Um, that's like the end of the event, but it's actually not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think that's true, Zach. I think I think I will say. I'm not really even pushing back on your point because I think you're you're absolutely right, but I do think a lot of a lot of what amounts to nothing happening, which is true, you're you're right, is uh, intended to just give basically every character that DC Comics uh, had a stake in a panel or two, even if they're doing nothing to but to appear. 
you know right yeah I, yeah i can't I, believe I how many that. i can't believe how many characters are in this thing and many of them are doing almost nothing but like again when i was in college and i wasn't familiar with all these characters i i didn't realize just like now that i pretty much know everybody in this comic just seeing how many of them show up like it's got to be practically everybody that dc mm-hmm. owned you know like um the, the doom patrols in this thing uh good chunk of the uh, marvel uh let's cut the marvel's uh faucet folks yep and like john constantine who's like yes who, who had just I, been I created right like the, yeah he was pretty recently less than a year before this i think yeah I, I mean name a dc comics character and they're probably in this thing oh yeah i know? mean like anthro the loser like all the war characters um like commandy arian you know yeah. uh like it, all of those weird characters and and I think you're right, and it does like build out the scope of the series too. I don't think it's wasted. I, I didn't. I didn't really mean for it to come across like that. It's just like the plot isn't moving forward much. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. In they're, those not, they're not. They're not serving a purpose other than to be a celebration of this thing, like you said earlier. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And in in that way, it is special. And I think when we when we talk about comics and when we get a excited for events and jazzed about things we love the pages where like you know i i think i think about doomsday clock issue i forget if it was eight or nine or ten where all the heroes of the dcu are flying to mars right yeah i think that was 10 i'm pretty sure sure and you see all the you see them all in their individual ships and like we we all sat around (laughs) and like tried to pick it what you're i'm just like really glad that you're bringing this up because i thought about that issue so much while i was reading this yeah yeah, totally it's totally evocative of that yeah and i think it's done with a purpose and it's you know it is popcorn it is like candy comics it's not there's not much meat to it but if you do that every once in a while you can't rely on it too much but if you do it every once in a while like for a special event like this it was really impactful to see, even if not much is going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. This rereading this has made me think a little bit differently about Doomsday Clock. <laughs> you like ways. it more, or maybe potentially? Yeah. Um, let's we'll we'll save it for later. Sure. Um, so uh, along those lines, there's one other thing I wanted to mention as far as like um, a comparison to the way this story would be told in a more modern structure versus one from 1985. Um, There are so many panels on almost every page of this thing. Like uh, Perez does so many tiny panels and reaction shots to things, you know, I'm thinking of like, modern events where you would turn a page and there would be a full page spread or a double page spread. A lot of the times those big dramatic moments are handled with lots of little panels. Like think about the panels where, um, when Barry dies, Mm. that's handled in so many little panels as he shrivels away. And yet it's a huge iconic moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like with the Supergirl moment, you know, I always think of that cover 
mm-hmm. right, being right. like yep. for the that's moment. Not, yeah. But in the book, it's not. It's much smaller, you know. Um, at least like the panels are. I mean, you don't get a big splash page like that, which is really interesting. Um, splash pages really weren't a thing at this point. I mean, they're there now and then, but it, it wasn't. It feels like flat splash pages were not in vogue right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. there there are a few yeah. throughout this series, and it's usually when, usually they're they're on the uh, the monitor satellite, and they're showing you how many people are gathered. I was there. just gonna say they're used for scale, not for impact. Yes. Yep. Yep. And I personally, I prefer it that way, but I understand, I understand that's not in vogue these days. It's it's the other way around, but but I I prefer it to be a scale thing versus a. Uh, here, here's a, a an impactful event shown in one big page. You know. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Perez is is crazy. Um. I will say, there was one thing I noted, and maybe I feel like one of you guys have brought this up before, which is what made me think about it. Is it um, all the nut faces? No, it's not the <laughs> nut faces, but. Maybe I'm wrong, but I thought one of you before had mentioned that like Perez was kind of notorious either during his like Wonder Woman work or Teen Titans about having like women's clothes like just being blasted off. Yes. <laughs> yes. Is that, like, Brian. Is that, that a thing me, yes. that you're familiar? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it happen- like one time. There are a couple of moments where it's basically just someone is uh, someone's standing there. They're fired with like, a sonic boom ray, and then they're just in tatters. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's like one part in this book where like he almost kind of I don't it almost felt like purposeful, like they were doing that to like make fun of themselves where like I think it was uh, Firehawk. Is that the character? The the storm? Yes. Firestorm. Where, where like she like like her costume just got like completely destroyed and just like, oh, let me make a new costume. But I just thought that was like a really funny Perez trope that popped up in the book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, do, do, should we keep moving along? Sure. Okay. Sure. So, so you've got the different the the heroes get broken off into groups to deal with these cosmic tuning forks, right? And um, we don't have to get into detail about who is where or whatever, but that that is a very common trope that. You know, I don't know how common it was before this, but now it seems like um, a lot of events are done that way. Think of, uh, you know, most recently the no ju- the Justice League No Justice stuff mm-hmm. does that um, right down to changing all the uniforms to match these teams. Um, Crisis Crisis doesn't get on that detail, but uh, but it's it's done. No, but a lot of like yeah, a lot of recent events do that. Um, yeah. I think not so much. I mean, that did it. Yeah, No Justice did it. I can't really think of many other recent DC ones that have done it, but I feel like every Marvel event is like that now. Marvel it's does like, that, yeah. It's all about the weird pair-up that you wouldn't expect. Yep. And I think um, I think these days, more often, it's done so that a certain writer writes a certain group of characters, you know? Because oftentimes there's, oftentimes there's like spinoffs and things that that feature these characters, and they tend to be handled by whatever writer happens to be writing them at the time. 
that's not always the case, mm-hmm. but but you know, even like some of these weekly events that we got in the like 52 or the new 52 era, um that was kind of the case. You'd have these stories broken into sections that concern different teams. Right. And different different writers would essentially handle them. I mean, we're even seeing that to a certain degree with the like f- the final arc of James of um Scott Snyder and James Tynion's like big Justice League arc that started with no justice. Like I know Zach, you mentioned that before, but when you think about it now, like Tynion has taken over the Batman Who Laughs part of that, right? And or rather the Lex Luthor part of that. And it seems like Snyder is taking over the Batman Who Laughs part part of that. And there's all these like disparate parts that are taking forever to eventually finish up. Whereas all of that kind of happens either like in one issue here or some of it happens off panel. It's just like you said before, Zach, it's wildly paced. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing that, that is worth mentioning is that uh, all these characters that are uh, being recruited from all these other books and things, that there are some very threadbare tie-ins to Crisis on Infinite Earths that I, I tried to check in with a lot of them. And I have to say that, you know, I know it was like their first time doing something like this, but most of these books have barely anything to do with <laughs> with the crisis. Um, there will be like a page that has a red sky and then like a yeah. character is like, I, well, I must be going. You know? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I I I read one tie-in for this. Can you guess what it was? Greenland. I no, because no, that I... was that was one that was actually a little worthwhile. No, that that wasn't it. Um, the one I read was um, DC Presents '87, the oh. Earth Prime Superboy um, issue, because I had forgotten how late Superboy Prime shows up in this. He actually he doesn't show up until like the tenth issue, right? Which I, I want to talk about that tenth tenth issue a lot in a little bit. Okay. Um, okay. Well, I just wanted to say like that reminded me a lot of how Final Crisis worked and how you had to read certain things that were considered tangential for the story to work, and that that made me think of like, oh, the this this DC Comics Presents issue is actually a lot like the. The um, what was it? The Superman Beyond mini in that mm-hmm. regard, you know, where it, it introduces a character who ends up being pretty important, and otherwise you have no context for him. Right. Um. So I I read this. Uh, when I most recently read this, I read the edition that our pal Greg Matasevich had bound, and so he had inserted in. There's a there's a story from, gosh, is it DC Legends? It's sorry, Legends of the DC Universe, Crisis on Infinite Earth, the untold story. It takes place between issues maybe three and four. You know that, that famous double-page spread that has all the characters in the monitors, um, mm-hmm. like uh, Spaceship, whatever it is. This it Basically, it's the story of how all those characters get there, or at least... Part, part of that story. Basically, the Justice League goes to another Earth, tries to save everybody, and it doesn't happen. And uh, that's inserted in, and there's also a a brief Flash story inserted in right when Barry is sort of entering the Speed Force. There was a, 
I forget what issue it was from, but there was a Flash story that it was one of those things where it was like it was in a a um, a milestone issue of some sort, and so it kind of tells a little bit more about what Barry's going through as he enters the Speed Force. So Greg inserted those into the comic. So those are the only, quote, tie-ins I read. But part of the reason for that is there was a book that was published, and it was not published by DC, that was called The Official Crisis on Infinite Earths Crossover Index. And oh, Mark Wade was one of the writers of it. And uh, Greg, of course, put this into the bind as well. And first of all, it goes through, it gives a description of just about every Earth that is mentioned in this story. But it also goes through literally every issue that has anything to do with Crisis and tells you what happens in that issue. So you can basically read this, uh, this like, you know, what is it, 40-page collection or whatever, and get all the information you would need without having to read all those other issues. Now, I recognize that somewhat defeats the purpose of reading comics, and it's sort of like reading <laughs> a Wikipedia entry. But, you know, Amethyst number 13... It says basically, uh, like, you know, Amethyst, blinded by shadows, is taken back to Gem World by Dr. Fate, who reveals to her her heritage as a Lord of Order before returning to the crisis. Like, yeah. do you really need to read an entire issue to find that out? Probably no, not. and you, you don't even need to know it to begin with. Right. So but if you're going you know, to read it, this is a very efficient way to yes. read it. Yes. I gave up halfway through on the tie-ins because I just couldn't, couldn't do it anymore. But yeah. – um, yeah, that sounds that sounds like a good way if you're if you're interested in that. Yes. Um Okay. So one thing I want to talk about as we get to like we're we're kind of in the issue three and four territory right now. Um I, I kinda wanna talk about the new characters a little bit. So mm. so yeah. like uh I'm talking about Pariah, I'm talking about uh Harbinger, who are two characters that are massively important to this story, um, which is crazy. And then who you almost never really see again. You do see Pariah a little bit in the future, and Harbinger actually becomes a member of. Uh, she becomes a member of some. Is it the Outsiders? Uh, the new New Guardians, maybe. New Guardians, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Is um, that right? That sounds I mean, right. Also, Lady Quark is a huge part of this. Well, I was getting yeah, to, yeah that yeah. was I was going to say that next because then because in issue four they get to Earth six, which is the like Lord Volt, Lady Quark, Earth. I I think that's Earth six, and then yeah, Pariah saves Lady Quark on that Earth, which is interesting because he never saves anyone else on any other <laughs> any of these other <laughs> Earths that he's like witnessing the destruction of. She's the only one he ever saves. <laughs> Um, which is kind of weird, but um, but yeah. So go off, Brian. What were you going to say about her? Because she was gonna, gets. I was going to say that she she's an, an, a majorly important character here, and we never see her anymore either. I mean, she shows up every now and then, but mm -hmm. for for being the only survivor of that Earth, you would think that she would have been a more major part of DC's stories in the fifteen years before they brought the the uh, multiverse back. Yeah. But, nope. Oddly, not really. Oddly yeah. enough, oddly enough, she has a small role in Zero Hour, which yes, we'll she get does. To. Yes. Yeah. Um. There's there's this new Doctor Light, the Japanese yeah. uh -huh. Doctor Light. Mm -hmm. Um. Which is which is funny because the Monitor creates this new Doctor Light, and it's like it's like his next gambit for beating the Anti Monitor. I think it's like his dying gambit essentially. 
Um, but part part of the funny thing about Crisis on Infinite Earths to me is that like <laughs> this this ancient war between the monitor and the anti-monitor is very theoretical. Like almost nothing <laughs> about it really makes any sense. And even some of the Harbinger stuff, like much is made over the first few issues about maybe Harbinger's a double agent. Is she actually working for the anti-monitor or the monitor? She says the monitor saved her but life. It's like, but, she... but it's even like, it's explicit that she's like possessed by one right. of the shadow creatures. And even like the monitor knows it's like the like worst kept secret. Yes. sort of. Yes. You know, it's like everyone knows it and you're just waiting for it to happen. So it's supposed to be dramatic, but really it's not at all. It's just, mm. it just comes off as lame to me, which is, you know, I think, you know, as much as I love this series, it's not perfect. And I think the way Harbinger is, handled as a character is one of the not for any problematic way just it's a muddled you know they're trying to create mystery with her but really the whole time you know see i kind of liked it because i thought it felt kind of shakespearean almost you know it's like yeah i thought i thought it kind of had the feel of this this tragic story that you kind of already know the outcome to but you're just waiting for the tragedy to happen. Okay. Uh, I, and I kind of liked it for that reason on this read through. I can see that. Okay. Okay. Brian thoughts. Um, I, as usual, I fall somewhere between you two. Um, <laughs> no, you know, I think that it's, it, it never really convinces you that Harbinger is a double agent. It sort of teases that maybe there's some mind control, which is what ends up happening. But I, I don't think it's—I don't know if it was super effective. No, it's because she's she's she says at at various points like I love the monitor, you yeah. know, <laughs> but I'm killing him, you know. But, but from that perspective, Zach, I can see what you what you mean when you say Shakespearean. I think you're right. I just wish I had that experience while reading it. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's sure. I'm I'm encouraged to hear that you were in that mindset. That's a, that's a good way of of experiencing that. I think um, one thing I think about like Pariah specifically is that it's some of the most melodramatic writing and depiction of a character oh, for in this sure. thing. <laughs> yeah, you but think? I, but I yeah, but I kind of love it. <laughs> like <laughs> I love how his face is just like contorted in agony at every turn and like how hopeless and desperate he is to, to escape this loop that he's in. Um, it's so over the top, but it really works for an event that's this big. It helps sell this as truly a, a like a world-shattering sort of thing. Well, have you heard the rumor that Wally West will be known as Pariah from now on? Yeah, that's a Uncle Rich gem, yeah. which yeah. I think – didn't we talk about that? We basically said he's like a crisis character now. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if we said actually said the word Pariah, but yes. Um, I kind of like that idea. I don't know. I feel like the I feel like the name is just so on the nose. <laughs> it's like calling a villain villain. You know, it's just it's a really on the nose name for for a character. Yeah. And I feel like Wally West doesn't. Need, first of all, they haven't given him a actual an actual um. Uh, what's it called? They never give Wally West like an actual code name anymore. He's just Wally West. So why not just keep him Wally West? Yeah. 
man, Wally's a big deal in this. Um, there, yeah, I I wanted to talk about the new characters thing because that's a big that I feel like that's one of the if I had to go through and make bullet points of like key part of a crisis, I think new characters is one. Mm. Um, I think it's a really important part because like yeah, you get the ones that you've mentioned. Did we mention the new Wildcat yet? No, no, and that's a character that that is important going forward from this too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so and so yeah, the new Wildcat. I think we we mentioned Doctor Light, right? Yes. Yep. Okay, and then I kind of feel like there was one more new character, like legacy type character. Maybe maybe not. Uh, maybe not. I can't remember. But then also like Alexander Luthor, um, Superboy Prime, um, yeah, just a lot of new characters, and 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 I think you see that also later crises as well being a like a key factor, um, and also just like some of the characters who are being introduced into DC for the first time. I think like the. Like is is this the first time that the Charlton characters crossed over? Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's like a big thing. Um, yeah, and then also like the next bullet point, like you mentioned, Wally. Like there are certain characters that are like really important for a crisis. So like the flashes are all very important for the crisis. For crisis, um, obviously, like the super characters play big roles in crises. Um, I honestly kind of feel like those are like the two biggest families that get affected. Yeah. I, I was thinking about that the other day, how Batman is always a relatively small part of these until final crisis where, you know, yeah. Yeah. And even then <laughs> it's just like the, the one, gun, it's the one, it's the one part. Um, That's true. Yeah. He, he kind of sits out most of it um, for reasons, but um, also green lanterns are very important in, in crises like yeah. not, like the whole core tends to well, be pretty important that that's a great moment i think it's from issue five where like the the guardians kind of got jobbed earlier in like uh one of the crossovers that was so that's why i said the green lantern crossovers were a little bit important because mm-hmm. in in one of the issues of green lantern you see uh the anti-monitor wipe out the guardians or put them they put them in stasis put them in a stasis beam and uh, then the moment in issue five where, like, the cavalry, right, the Green Lantern cavalry comes in is a pretty big moment. It doesn't really amount to much in the end, but mm-hmm. but you're right. Like, it is kind of a semi-triumphant peak in the peaks and valleys of this story. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, it's funny. I read this after reading Infinite Crisis. And so I, I didn't pick up on a lot of the things in Infinite Crisis until I read Crisis on Infinite Earths, obviously, because that is such a story that's so beholden to the original. And it's just funny how many of those things get mirrored there between those two series. I, I think those two series kind of like cement in my mind the canon of like what makes a crisis a crisis. And then I judge everything else against that. <laughs> This is going to be fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it is really fun, I think. Um, 
but yeah, those are kind of like the big things. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned like new characters. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Do we? Uh, Was there anything I else you want to say about on? the first six issues? Uh, let me let me just flip to six and see. Um, the the first reveal of the anti monitor always throws me off because it's that it's the not the like version. yeah it's the weird version that I never that you just don't associate with him I think right. um and and they tried to make it they tried to make that look happen again in the new fifty two. Oh, and, yeah. he, and even now, kind of like it's still kind of how he looks when he's a good guy in Justice League, um, which like that's enough. I this is probably like too deep a rabbit hole to go, but just like how much these concepts have been reused and reimagined over the years. Um, even even when we were talking about like the Earth Three thing. I'm pretty sure the exact same thing has happened recently with Perpetua in Justice League. Like we saw her destroy yeah. Earth three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just funny between how between this and all zero, these uh, are. yeah, yeah. There is so so many uh, Snyder Justice League vibes in in these things. Yeah, not unintentional. I don't think this. No, if we if we take. Um, uh, metal as a crisis which we're supposed to yeah then I, I would imagine the sequel i think we've talked about this on the show before but like the sequel kind of has to be part of the crisis too and everything in between then kind of is you know <laughs> so it's it's like we've been reading a crisis for two years now and yes. that's actually exactly. one of, and that's what I, yeah i was gonna say that's one of my uh sort of demerits that i put on snyder's run is that it feels less like the run of a comic and more like a never-ending event. And how you can get exhausted by the scope of his comics, because instead of knowing, all right, there's 12 issues of this, quote, universe-changing stuff, we got like three years of it. Mm -hmm. No, for real. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at with, like, the, you know, the section. (laughs) It almost, like, tracks perfectly, because you have that, like, you have the event... Um, like the, like metal is the first, you know, four issues or whatever of crisis. And then you get no justice, which is like all the characters teaming up. Then you get this long status quo where all the villains are doing stuff and that's justice league. And, and, um, you're the villain. And now we're getting to like the meat, the like last three issues of crisis in, in death metal. (laughs) Um, it's wild. <laughs> <laughs> so anything else for issue six, Vincey? Uh, no, yeah, we can we can move on to the second half. Well, now. Yeah, well, let's, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the second half of Crisis. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster... A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, 
discussing the highs and lows from the Viz anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back, starting with issue number seven of Crisis on Infinite Earths. And Vincey, where does this start us off? Yeah, so issue seven is, well, first of all, it's it's known as the Supergirl death issue, which we will, we will get to that point. But where does it start off? Um, this is where the big sort of crisis, antimatter, monitor, antimonitor backstory is dumped um and this is where the guardian the green lantern stuff the guardians corona um coronavirus corona (laughs) we're we're all getting coronavirus from (laughs) reading bad green lantern no um uh yeah this that this is where all of that happens and you know it starts with that famous image that's been returned to time and again of Krona looking into time and seeing the blue hand that has like the galaxy in its clutches. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that we've seen time and time again. There was a lot of talk about, Oh, th- that's going to end up being Dr. Manhattan in the, doomsday clock stuff well that that didn't end up being the case but that's i think that's kind of a fascinating idea somebody had i but, mean um, I, I i guess we we can't definitively say it's not dr manhattan well that's the other thing is it's it's changed over the years who what the hand is yeah i guess i don't i don't remember much of that I I know it's popped up a few times, but Jeff, Jeff Johns definitely Jeff Johns changed did it. A, yeah, he did a big in, arc in Green in Green Lantern. I think he actually might have made the hand love. I I may <laughs> be wrong. I kind of think he may have made the hand Hal. Oh Jesus! In the last issue, <laughs> I really kind of think he may have. I I may be wrong about that, but I sort of think he did. Hal completes the self suck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, well, uh, was it like Specter Hal or uh, no, Parallax no, Hal? Like normal Hal? Like I uh, or might have <laughs> been like Parallax Hal. Hal. <laughs> it was like it was like when he was fighting. Because remember that last arc, like brought back it. The like last arc of his Green Lantern run started off with that weird. Um, Jerry Ordway drawn issue like went back oh, to the Cronus yeah. Green stuff and like kicked off that arc. Oh yeah, wow! Uh, and like brought in the Phantom Lantern or whatever it was called. Like he, that's that would hit like the origin of the that lantern that um, was weird and bluish colored, and then some weird stuff happened, and Hal was trapped somewhere, and then he he fought Necron again, and. And the hand thing came back. The like, because like the Krona looking at the screen thing happened. The first lantern, that's who that character was. Like, crashed into, like, when Krona was looking at the screen, the first lantern came. All that stuff. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm, 
all of that rings a bell, but I have yeah. no actual memory of any of it. It's been a long time <laughs> since I've read it. I guess I could just pull it up on DC Universe because we have that as a resource. But this is a tangent. Continue. Yeah. Well, anyway, that so big uh, DCU history info dump. Um, we see the creation of Quard, uh, which you know becomes a a big focal point in some Green Lantern stories. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, do you guys have any thoughts about the sort of origin of all this stuff that we see in this issue? The uh, positive matter, the antimatter, um, Pariah's role in all of this gets mostly revealed, I think. Um, it's with with Pariah, it's kind of like an Icarus sort of thing, right? Where like he's captivated by the idea of a multiverse, and so he tries to follow Krona's steps, and he ends up reawakening the monitor and the anti-monitor i think yeah but then like later they try to like retcon it so that he had less culpability but the way they explained it still made it sound like it was his fault <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that part was not very clear yeah there's there's some stuff in this series that feels like um either it's a red herring that's set up in the first half that is changed in the back half, but in a, a very unconvincing way, or that editorial plans changed from the beginning to end, uh, and they just didn't bother to tie it up any more neatly than that. Um, there, there's a there's a few things where a character will say something, and it really feels like it never pays off, or else plans changed. Um, and the, this is one of those times where it felt it felt like to me kind of a cop-out um but again you know again a minor criticism of this thing it's not perfect uh volthoom was the hand oh oh yeah 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 that's what it was boy that'd have been wild if it was hal though (laughs) (laughs) would have been (laughs) that that was the thing i I wouldn't have put it i wouldn't have put it past john's to do that it was the thing morrison's gonna retcon it so that it's hal that would be great. It's Hal, and he's going to be doing the Goatsy uh, <laughs> image in space. It's uh, a cursed thought. Uh, sorry, listeners. Don't um, Google that if you don't know it. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. So I, I think that all of this sort of universe shaping stuff, it's not my favorite part of the comic. And I think in general, when DC tries to get too explanatory about things that don't really need to be explained, I tend to tune out a little bit. Like, none of the stuff that happens in the first, you know, five or six pages of this issue is really essential to understand this comic. It's all really superfluous stuff. It's fun stuff, but there's... I I don't know how essential it is. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's fine. It's just not my it's not my particular stuff. Because I, I just feel like nobody really needs to know this detailed of an origin because it's the origin isn't all that interesting. No, it's not. It's not. It's very like I said before, it's very like 
theoretical and like mm-hmm. uh, you know positive versus negative yeah. thoughts basically is what is what it all amounts to right if we're talking in like actual dramatic terms um, that that I'll probably be accused of not taking it seriously enough but uh, how can you no I, I completely agree though I, I think that yeah. you know all the all this stuff is fine but it's not it's nowhere near the best stuff in this comic. No, 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 no. Which brings us to the back half when where they go to the Anti-Monitor's lair and they fight these weird stone creatures. And uh, Supergirl ends up biting it. In a very sort of... I think for the time probably it seemed really fresh, but now it seems like a very... Like this is clearly the model for so many superhero deaths after. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the uh, the the quote from Declaration of the Free at the end is very good. Mm-hmm. Is death a door that leads to light? We cannot say. That's a good. It's a really strong. I mean, even I was the my emotions were stirred a little bit reading that, and I'm as cynical as they come. Um, what do you guys think about the death and how it's portrayed and its impact uh, in the DCU at, at for its time and going forward? I think it's pretty great personally. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's important and I think it was handled well. And, you know, like it's easy to look at stuff like this and be, you know, like very cynical just because of the way you know now now in comics we're having to like tell stories about death in ways that we're having to do it in new ways because it has been so the the revolving door has become so well oiled you know yes. <laughs> um <laughs> and so like um but yeah, no, I think I think that this handled it handled it really really well. I will say the one bit that I mean you definitely see him renege on this less than a page later, but when Earth 1 Superman says, "I want to kill him for this." It seems very out of character for Superman. But yeah, I, but, there but was I say that. that but I say that in a good way. I feel like it shows the depths of his pain. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Well, I was gonna. That's a good point because I, there were a few times in the series where I felt like characters were kind of like a little uncharacteristically like bloodlusty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Superman there. I think Flash when we get in the next issue is kind of that way too, or at least it, it struck me that way. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So then in the very next issue, we get another massive death. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, back-to-back. Wow, that's... And was, was issue seven the longer one? That That's like a supersized issue, right? I yeah, believe yeah, so. it is. Isn't it, isn't it like 60 pages? Yeah, it's something ridiculous. I remember reading it and I... thinking like, oh, okay, did I did I get, go on to the next issue and not realize it or I, what? Yeah, I think it was like 40 pages. That that issue and the last issue were both like 40-something pages. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's right. For I, I think it was forty-eight or something like that. It's 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 on the high side. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. First of all, one thing I love about issue eight, right off the bat, is that uh, <laughs> the anti monitor is uh, Mrs. Robinson from <laughs> uh, <laughs> from the Graduate with uh, with Barry between his legs. Um, a fun, a fun little uh, aside yeah. there. Okay. Um, what else? Let's see. Is there anything that we want to talk about with this issue that doesn't have to do with Barry's death? We haven't really talked a lot about Psycho Pirate. I was just going to say the same thing, Zach. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's uh, go off, King. Well, he's another like character i associate with crisis because he you know oh spoilers here we go i'm getting ahead of ourselves here but he's like the one of the only characters who remembers once this is all over which was such a big deal for a long time i feel like or at least that was my my impression of it was like a big deal Mm -hmm. um but he's really kind of underused over the course of the series like he, he does some things but he mostly just like simpers in the background. He's also portrayed as uh, pretty spineless throughout this, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and and obnoxiously so. Yeah, yeah. His powers are also kind of incomprehensible too. Yes, they are very yeah. inconsistent. Yeah, a lot of times he's like, "I'm, I'm, I'm feeling people's feelings, and it's giving me." energy or something like that other times it's it's never quite clear what it's what it's actually used for you know he and it doesn't seem to affect certain people and i don't know it's <laughs> it's weird <laughs> it's fine though like i said all this stuff is very like theoretical and high high concept in such a way that it's it's just very easy to hand wave it away um to to where you don't really need to understand the inner workings of it right what i'll say though is that all of the all of those sort of theoretical hand wavy moments are usually grounded even in the same issue by some real emotional moments Mm, yeah so for instance the death of the flash does follow a lot of a lot of psycho pirate nonsense and Supergirl's death follows that whole origin of the monitor anti-monitor stuff too so it does somewhat balance each other out yeah yep uh one thing one thing we didn't mention about Supergirl's death which kind of plays out a little more in this issue is uh I believe she and Brainiac 5 were dating at the time and so that had reverberations in the Legion books, I think, for a time. And the Legion, the Legion of Superheroes titles, much like with the New 52, were one of the few books that I think continued relatively untouched by the crisis. Do I have that right? That sounds about the right. Legion books... Yeah, I think so because they didn't they were get kind renumbered. Of disconnected from everything. Yeah, no, yeah. they were more. Legion was way more affected by Zero Hour. Yeah, 
Yep. Yep. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that before we, because that's something from the beginning of this issue. But the the big thing with this issue in the second half is, uh, Barry. Uh, versus the Anti Monitor. And which uh, is really Barry versus the big antimatter cloud. Yeah. But it's sad. Yeah, the the cannon. Yeah, that right, right, right. The antimatter cannon or whatever. Yeah, it's like a yeah, weapon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's another theme. So, uh, our friend of the show, Dan DiDio, right? Uh, <laughs> Once Fu- said that former future guest. <laughs> yep, former future guest. Uh former former stinger auth- <laughs> author voice actor. Um uh once said that every crisis needs a, a dead flash, right? Mm-hmm. Um and I think, you know, I don't know if I like that or not, but I do think every crisis has to intimately involve the flash. And, um, I mean, because speaking of like hand wavy stuff, like the Flash's ability to travel through time allows each crisis to get have its own sort of get out of jail free card. Yeah, basically. Or yeah, yeah. Um, the the Flash's powers are are basically a consistent window into, hey, what if everything were a little different? You know, we even see it when there's not a crisis, right? Like how many flash arcs between Jeff John's run and now have teased like alternate futures or alternate possibilities because of the flash's power. Right. It's only the degree to which that is true for the entire DC universe, which changes as to whether it's simply a flash story about time travel or a DCU story about time travel or crisis or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. time, timey wimey shit. Um, but the this idea of the Flash running super fast to his death is something that is returned to constantly as well. Uh, even in even in future crises. I was going to say the next crisis yeah. we're going to read basically begins with this. So yeah, <laughs> yep, and that's of course, of course that's intentional and and I think it usually works pretty well. Um, but this is a massive moment because this is the last true appearance of Barry for two decades. We get the trial of Barry Allen in Mark Wade's flash run. Okay. But that's that's not really like this is this is the first this is the last time that we see the flash in this like be from from this point onward, everything else is time travel to when he's younger, right, right, yeah, right. Until and, another crisis. Yep. Yes. And Wally is the Wally is the Flash. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. At least until another crisis. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say what... that Wally <laughs> was the Flash. Something like only seven or eight years less than Barry was before he before this issue which is yeah, crazy I mean, to that, think about that sounds right yeah yeah 
when yeah it it, it would be pretty close because what i mean wally was the flash from pretty much crisis on infinite earths to roundabout infinite crisis like somewhere in there we get bart briefly yeah briefly um after that or around that time so i mean that's at least like 20 years and i don't remember when barry was introduced was it early 60s it's late 50s i believe late 50s okay yeah so that sounds about right seven eight years something like that yes it's crazy it's it's i i think we oftentimes think of barry allen as the flash but for folks especially around my age most of the flash comics you read were wally comics Yeah. Yep. All right. Anything else on Barry? Uh, I mean, I think it's a beautiful sequence. Barry's death. It it, it also has a lot of, um, you know, has you you see him sort of looking into the future and seeing some some teases of of maybe future stories, and or at least you know events that he that has not happened yet. And when he dies, it is a very sad moment. But as melodramatic as like the pariah stuff is, it's not super melodramatic when when Barry dies. Oh no, I I think it's handled really well, and I think that that's that's why it's such an enduring scene. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good little moments of writing in this. Yeah, absolutely. Do we ever think there'll be a comic death that will feel as real and be as long-lasting as this one? No, I think I don't. I don't think you can do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can either. Um, just because of how much it's been done and how. I like I don't I don't think like crisis is crisis is cheapened but it, we'll notice as we go on like crisis gets accelerated the the gap between crises gets shorter right. and these these things happen a lot quicker and and they do lose a bit of their punch I think Yeah for sure and I think you know Back in the day, you got guys uh, writing letters into DC, I'm sure, uh, pissed about things or whatever. But if you kill a character and make it last too long or whatever, not that I don't know how much this matters in the grand scheme of things, but, um, you know, hundreds of fans will show up to on social media and tell DC to eat shit until they change it. Right. And and that's not that's not a reason to do or not do something in a story, but it is a reality, right? It's, we just operate in a very different comics environment. It's a different atmosphere um, than it used to be. A lot, I mean, a lot of things are the same if you read the letters that get written. <laughs> sure. But, but the volume is different, you know? Yeah, the yeah. Well, and we used different. to, like, live in a time where there were characters that people legitimately thought would never come back. Yeah, right. And now we don't. Now, yeah, now they're, they've all come back, and no one thinks that. <laughs> yeah. 
I keep wondering when the next... I think it happened when Captain America died, maybe. When Marvel said, like, we're not bringing him back, this is for real, and then he was back a year later. I feel like they've <laughs> even stopped saying that now. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's because all that's because the writers all get yelled at, and they have to get... They get browbeaten in so, on social media, and they have to reply with, of course you know that this isn't going to stick. You know, like... Think about the Heroes in Crisis stuff. Like, how many times was Joshua Williamson... Now, he didn't write that, but I mean, like, how often was he asked about Wally West, right? right. You ever going to get to write Wally again? Are you going to get to tell your Wally story, you know? And he essentially had to tell people, like, look, just keep reading, you know? <laughs> like, without coming out and saying it, basically saying, like, look, everything will eventually get put back. That's just what happens, you know? Grant Morris, the final issue of Grant Morrison's Batman uh, run was basically about how all the toys go back in the box, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, even like the one toy bad, he didn't but... put back in the box, which was he killed Talia al Ghul, she's back now, too. So, <laughs> sure, good. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was even going to put Damien back in the box, I think, and then. Then they did. Then they didn't, right? Oh no, because he was too. He was in like other books and stuff at that point. He he had kind of already moved on from Morrison in a way. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And then he, and then they did kill him anyway. For, <laughs> yeah, they did for like six <laughs> months or whatever. Yeah, but then he came back with superpowers yeah. or something. With yeah. that silent issue, sure. in like. What's that? He, I said they killed him, and then they had that silent issue that Vince didn't like. Oh yeah, 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 not, not, not my favorite. Ah, okay. So issue nine, then Barry's dead. Um, this issue is kind of fun because it starts off with the the sort of um. Zach, I think you likened part of this to you're the villain type stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of got the villains coming together on Brainiac's ship, trying to decide what to do, you know, whether whether they can save themselves or whether they have to help save the Earth first and then take advantage of it. Um, it's a really funny scene where the Lex Luthor of Earth 2 tries to speak up and, you know, he's like, I want to be in charge. <laughs> and then they <laughs> Brainiac kills him, yep. um, which is a good way to deal with that uh, conundrum of having... Two Lexes. Um, that uh, a lot of duplicate characters do get killed. Yes. In the <laughs> yeah, 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 yep. Um, uh, yeah, like Hawkman, uh, Lex, uh, Earth Two Hawkman, Earth Two Lex. Uh, the bit with Wonder Woman at the end is weird. <laughs> yes. Um. I'm sure there are a few more that I can't think of. Uh, Sugar and Spike are in this freaking issue. Speaking of, like, small-scale DC characters. In this Um, issue, I feel like it's most clear that Mark Hamill was supposed to play Pariah. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Um... So this issue is mainly a, a brawl between the heroes and the villains, right? 
that's that's what this is and uh, uh, I believe at this point the earth four and the uh, earth axe the the freedom fighters one and the Shazam earth are still around and the villains have control of them yeah there's actually like I think issue 10 opens with um like you know the villains taking over the earths but you don't actually know that that's exactly what's happening right then and i thought it was kind of funny because it opens with earth four and all the here like everything is bad and the heroes are all dying and i thought like this feels very watchman s <laughs> i was trying to think of like when watchman was coming out in relation to this it, it would have been pretty close yeah it would have been like six months from this issue okay Okay. I think. Uh, Watchmen um, started in 86. Okay. Yeah, I just thought that was funny. Like, that, that opening, the opening pages of issue 10, just with those characters, I, I, I was like, oh, this is feels very Watchmen-esque. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, issue 10, I, I, I have a lot to say about. Okay, well, we can we can hop over to that because there's really not much more to talk about with issue 9. It's really just um, oh the one other thing is that this is when Guy Gardner becomes a Green Lantern. Yeah, yeah. That was the other new character thing I wanted to talk about. I know Guy wasn't a new character at that point, but this is kind of like a reimagining of him. Mm-hmm. Um, which I had forgotten that he I I like had to do some wiki reading to kind of brush up on the details of that. I forgot that his kind of like brash persona was the result of brain damage. <laughs> Which is very problematic now. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, yep. Comics. <laughs> <laughs> so issue ten, really, it, the the Watchmen comparison is very apt, I think, because issue ten has the monitor tapes running along the bottom of it. Ooh, the monitor tapes, yeah. Which yeah, is I, a oh. which is a really innovative idea to have this sort of like secondary story happening at the same time as the as the main story. And while that doesn't happen in Watchmen exactly, it's the type of thing that Alan Moore was playing with a lot. And so I think that this feels the most like prestige baity of the issues because of that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think this issue was my favorite issue of the series that, that's because superboy prime shows up okay okay you got <laughs> me you got me oh and i was wrong it wasn't this issue issue 10 wasn't the one that opened with earth 4 it must have been issue 9 i, had... I think it was 9 yeah anyway that's fine zach you still there did we lose zach <laughs> Of course we did. He was wrong about Earth 4, and then he had to drop out. He committed seppuku. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> Zachary back? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Okay, I could hear you guys the whole time, and you couldn't hear me. No. We put you in the penalty box because of yeah. the, the issue. Because of the thing. Okay, uh, no, I was about to say, I was going to correct myself and talk about the weird Simon 
cliffhanger that is at the end of nine and immediately (laughs) (laughs) resolved at the beginning of 10 doesn't even matter Uh, we can just leave all this in we are (laughs) okay well i have nothing else to say about it except like i i had kind of forgotten that that happened and at the end of issue nine i was like oh that's that's interesting i I forgot this how's this going to resolve and then it it just ends brainiac murks him and it's over because simon is like kind of like um psycho pirate another like you know z-list villain who is featured really prominently in this series and you keep thinking he's about to get his moment and then no he he doesn't yeah um yeah so the monitor tapes it's it is it is like it's like if you had watchman back matter but you ran it a little bit on every page yep Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's great because I think this is where a lot of the really small time DC characters, uh, that I was kind of talking about earlier, this is where they appear. So like, this is where you see Immortal man. This is where you see the forever people, uh, Tommy tomorrow, just all, the Omega men show up here. Um, they they each kind of get their own little entry in the monitor tapes that shows you what they're doing uh, around the multiverse, right? Um, and I think that's really cool, and I think it works really well. I think it's really dramatic. It it is very like prestige, as you say, Brian. And I don't really I don't really know how to explain why that is, other than it's just so different from what we normally see yeah. in in superhero comics. You know? Yeah, I agree. It's not like the subject matter is all that different. No. And I no. guess it's also it's it's stylized differently. Maybe that's part of it also. Mm-hmm. Is that it's it's drawn deliberately to not look like the rest of the issue. Yeah. Yep. Um one thing I wanna put a little pin in here for a future episode of the DC three cast. The in this issue, the heroes and villains are gathered in Death Valley. And Death Valley was mentioned in... Now, I know Death Valley is a real place. I understand that. So there's, <laughs> so there's lots of reasons. DC Universe location. Yeah. No, so there's lots of reasons why they could be there and, and return to it multiple times. But I just want to throw this out there that in this issue, they're gathered in Death Valley in... Uh, Scott Snyder's Wonder Woman story, A Brave New World, or whatever it's called, uh, where it reintroduces Diana as the first superhero. The uh, people in the White, the government people in the White House are talking about some project in Death Valley, and it's been rumored by Uncle Rich that uh, Death Metal takes place or, or features death Valley in, in some important way. So I, it may be nothing, but I'm just, I just wanted to put a pin in it because if that also turns out to be a crisis connection, I wouldn't be surprised. That is interesting. Nice work, Finzi. Thanks. He's on the case, but <laughs> God, you make me sound like one of the, you make me sound like uh, the, a writer for uh, comic simps resources. You've you've been on our slash comic books recently <laughs> for sure. Only farmers only, baby. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, uh, guys, talk about this issue a little more. Um, aside from the monitor tape stuff, Brian, you said you had a lot to say. Well, the monitor tapes was a, was a big part of it, but I also think that this issue, I mean, we get to see, I mean, you know, I'm the Shazam boy of the DC three cast <laughs> and we get to see Captain Marvel do a little bit finally in this issue. I love the um, Superman and Lois stuff, the Earth 2 Superman and Lois stuff here, where he basically leaves Lois to go fight with the heroes, and the conversation they have, I think, is is one of the most emotionally effective of the entire series. We also get a little bit with Uncle Sam here, and I'm, I like Uncle Sam whenever he shows up. And, uh, yeah, this was... This issue has a fair amount of superheroes punching, but it's it's not bogged down by that. This, this issue has a lot of, like, what I think of, other than, you know, outside of, like, the deaths of Supergirl and Flash, like, some of the most iconic moments, um, you know, all of the Spectre stuff, I think, is really... In, in my mind, like very big, like mm-hmm. the Spectre's role in all this, you know, and you get the you get the bit where you see the anti monitor do the hand and then like he and the Spectre arm wrestle basically. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> and you get um this kind of what I think is maybe maybe not like as big, but kind of another crisis trope, which is getting all the magic people together to do something yeah. like Deus something Ex something that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, ever. yeah. It, it has never worked in the history of a crisis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which is really funny. Like you know, you get that like the the, the pentagram thing and Cosmic mm-hmm. Odyssey, which is I'm gonna tip my hand. Like another thing that. You know, another book that could be kind of crisisy in a way, yes. um, but it's not in in the in the pantheon, I guess. Um, so yeah, there there's a lot of big bombastic moments in this issue. It's it's almost like kind of another climax. Like yeah, we this could be the end of an event, like a modern event. It ends here, and then we pick up with the new status quo that we get in issue eleven. Yeah. I just on that point, Zach. I will say that, not to tip my hand too much in future episodes, but if Cosmic Odyssey was a crisis, it would be maybe it'd be one of my favorite crises. Yeah, I think I think once all of this is over, we should each pick one book that we think should be should count as a crisis. I mean, ours are going to be the same. I'm going to have to pick a different one. Y'all, you yours and mine, or yours and Brian's? Yours and mine, Zach. Oh, I don't know if we... Are you sure? Well, I thought you were going to say Cosmic Odyssey. Me? No, Brian said Cosmic Odyssey. Oh, I thought... Okay. Yeah. No, mine... I don't know what mine is, but it's not Cosmic Odyssey. I'll say that. I mean, we probably should make an agreement right now that we all can't pick Flash Forward. (laughs) Sure. Agreed. Fine. I was going to pick Flash Forward the... We'll let uh, Vince have Flash Forward. (laughs) I think... was Was that ABC that had that show? Yep. Yeah, I was gonna pick that the the ABC television classic Flash Forward. Mm. I want to say that came out like the same year that Lost started doing its flash forwards, and it was very confusing. Yeah, it might have been. I, I I think that show was kind of billed as like the Lost successor. You know, this it is was, what you're gonna yeah. start watching. Yeah, yeah, but it was not. Uh, sorry. Mine's gonna be the Kyle Chandler ve- vehicle uh, early edition. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
as long as, as long as we're allowed to pick TV shows. <laughs> Mine will be Northern Exposure. <laughs> hey, Twin Peaks is a crisis. That is true. Official yeah. crisis. It's re- it's replacing yeah. Convergence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we have to I... watch all of Twin Peaks for the show. <laughs> Deal. I feel like there are so many moments in Twin Peaks that would not be out of place in a crisis. Basically, anytime the Red Room is featured, you're going to see uh, some crisis level shit. Yeah. Okay, no. If if Twin Peaks can be a crisis, then uh, Kingdom Hearts also has to be a crisis. <laughs> Damn, it is, isn't it? Uh, if, if that's a crisis, then uh, Scott Pilgrim is the love crisis. <laughs> okay, yes. Anything else? No. We're we're on one tonight, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This episode is a crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <No. laughs> um. All right. So th- this uh, issue ends. Are we ready to end it? Yeah. Let's end yeah. end it to, and go to eleven. Yeah. Take, this one. Take it this to one, eleven. This... <laughs> <laughs> These ones go to eleven. Uh. The heroes. The None heroes... of us got the reference until you did that. Thank oh, you. Oh, like you've never done <laughs> the the quote of whatever it is we're talking about after we make. You the just joke. had to take it there, yeah, Tommy. baby. Oh, God. Oh, was that Austin Powers, Brian? Is that what that was? For um, our listeners who don't know how what the fuck we do on this show every week. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I've never watched Austin Powers, so I didn't know. <laughs> Again, we we have to we have to rectify that yeah, one of these days. We do, yeah. That's that's Patreon content. Uh, Austin Powers could be a crisis if you think about it. Oh, absolutely, the fembot crisis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, issue ten ends with the multiverse ending. Uh, the heroes lose. Mm-hmm. Kind of yeah. lose slash Kinda, win. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, kind of lose and win, because issue eleven begins with a very intriguing opening. Uh, and again, I have to imagine because uh, I don't think that back in nineteen eighty five and eighty six um, issues were spoiled weeks in advance like they are now. <laughs> so I have to imagine that this opening was quite a surprise. You have yeah, you have the birth of a single universe contrasted with the opening of this this series which showed the multiverse this is a single earth and you see the kal-el of earth 2 walking to the daily planet a little confused like because i believe on earth 2 the paper was the daily star yep uh, and you start to see a bunch of anomalies like that as the issue goes on, which again is a is a trope of future crises. Mm-hmm. Seeing like characters out of time showing up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. we see the cosmic treadmill being rebuilt um, by Jay Garrick and Wally. Um, they try to use it. They don't see any other Earths around. They realize that there's only one Earth now. If if the reader didn't get it by now, 
now they do get it that everything has been condensed to this one earth. Um, but there's still anomalies and problems with it, right? So, like, if I have this right, at this point, there's a lot of, you know, this is not the final configuration of the quote-unquote post-crisis Earth yet. Mm-hmm. Right. There will be another one. And so on this on this particular Earth, you've got, you know, lots of people that remember the events of the previous 10 issues. But it's only, isn't it only people who, like, had an active role in the crisis? Yes. Yeah, it no. was the only people who were at the the beginning of time yes. when everything went down. So, like, the villains and everybody who were on Oa don't remember. And then, of course, like, all the normies. None of the normies remember. Right, right. But considerably more remember than than who will remember at the end, which is only Psycho Pirate. Um, right? Yes. Yeah, and maybe some of the, like, and the other Crisis-centric characters, like... Um, like Alexander Luther, and Harbinger. Actually, yeah, I want to say maybe... Maybe, I'm not sure about Harbinger, actually. I don't think Harbinger does, because she becomes a character going forward, and, and yeah. it would make sense for that to... I'm pretty sure but... the JSA remembers. Hmm... Almost positive the JSA remembers. I don't think they do though. Well, because okay, I think be, they because in the there's a there's a follow up story called um, Oh the, the Last Days of the Justice. Society. Yes, yes, where it begins at the funeral of. Let's see, who is it? Yeah, you're right, Brian. But that is a retcon. I think. I think at the end of this, it is meant that they don't remember. But I I think and, that that. Because that issue, issue came out yeah. not long after this, like. It, but I, it, I don't think it, it stays like that either, because by the time, um, by the time, like, uh, what is it? In the lead up to Infinite Crisis, like, there's all that stuff about like Power Girl and like her conflicting origins, and like nobody remembers that there was a crisis then to like explain that, because otherwise, why would she be confused? Right. But I mean, so this, the last days of the JSA happens, and uh, and then the JSA is basically caught in limbo for like five years before they're brought back in '91, and they still remember. I want to say even in '91, they still kind of remember crisis stuff. Well, they may maybe the, I think every no okay so I think. Maybe we're like stuck on semantics here. I think everybody remembers that the crisis happened, no, but, but I don't think everybody remembers that there were multiple worlds. Right, but like the the funeral that's happening is happening, I believe, for like Dick Grayson and Helena Wayne or something like that. Like it's characters that that would not. There's they, no confusing. They died at the end of Crisis, and. I kind of got the impression. I thought it was like as time went on, more people forgot. Because like at the end of Crisis on Infinite Earth, people still remember that there was a multiverse for a minute. But like as time goes on, they kind of forget. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been like mentioned in like more modern stories too. Mm-hmm. Um, Regardless. Yeah, I don't know. It's all 
made up. <laughs> it's real to me, damn it. Well. Uh, where are we now? Ah, uh, well, we're still on issue 11, which is, you know, all these anomalies happening. And it kind of gives you a... It gives you a, a peek into, like, Power Girl, right? She has a very messed up kind of origin, right? Um, I believe post-crisis post-crisis she's like part Atlantean or something like that yeah that's right <laughs> yeah it's wild pre-crisis so. pre she was always Superman's Earth 2 Superman's cousin right and I, that gets retconned yeah, back later she's a super later. sexy woman yeah. yeah exactly she's Superman's cousin yep um uh, obviously, that's usually the configuration we see Power Girl in um, later, later in the DCU. Um, Cave Carson shows up in this one, so another minor, another minor character. He doesn't have a cybernetic eye, though. Um, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Is Milk Wars a crisis? It should be. Uh, yes. Oh, you, damn it! That was that was gonna <sighs> be mine if I'd have thought of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so then at the one one other funny part of this issue is that angle man dies when he gets caught between the two earths merging mm -hmm. um so that's like a very weird minor death in this thing i didn't get that yeah okay and i think it was not it wasn't supposed to be funny but i think it was supposed to be just a weird it was weird, and I yeah. didn't get it. So. Maybe it is supposed to be funny. I don't know. I laugh, but I, I'm i dark that way. I'm twisted. Yeah, um, you are. You're the comedian now. the comedian. You have become you have, the You have comedian. decided to become the comedian. The, over the course of this episode. With, with the breaking news tonight, I have become the comedian. <laughs> um, I'll let people guess what is happening in the real world right now. Um. So, and then at the end of this issue, the anti-monitor is <laughs> revealed. I'm back, bitch, he yeah. says. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And then at long last, uh, get ready to jump uh, 23 years into the future for the final crisis. Yes. Yep. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It is called. The final issue of this is called Final Crisis. Mm -hmm. Um. And, uh, yeah, let's talk about it. So, um, boy, there's a lot that happens in this issue. <laughs> yeah, there is. Because, and, and, and this the issue is five so issues. Small. The yeah. panels get so small. The panels um, get very small. You think they've won or lost like five to five or six times. Mm -hmm. um, it's overstuffed, but I feel like it's in all the best ways. How I have a question. How did this team get together at the very beginning? Uh Dolphin, Captain Comet, Adam Strange, Rip Hunter, Animal Man, and Atomic Knight? Yes. Aren't they... Oh, man. This is going to be a deep pull. Aren't they called the Forgotten Heroes or something like that? Yes. I think you're right. Yeah. They're a team that they're a team that's like the Forgotten Heroes or something. They've, I don't okay. think they've ever had their own book. But I believe that's what they're called. Okay. <laughs> I would read that book. That makes sense. I would, I would read that. Yeah. Somebody bring that back. <laughs> 5G this, right? 5G, now. baby. 
New, New Justice League or the Forgotten Heroes. I'd read it in a second. I'd buy two copies of every issue. One only if Chip Kid did it. Only if Chip, only if Chip Kid did the variants. Yeah, exactly. God, get the hell out of here. Uh, do you still uh, have all those? No, they're oh. they're at a half price book somewhere in the Twin Cities. Mm. Um. Uh, yeah. So let's see. Um. They they go back to Quard, right? Um. Psycho Pirate is like. <laughs> Pulling at Barry's empty costume because it's stuck in the rocks there. And that is a very kind of, that is like a disturbing, that's a disturbing scene to me. I, I just saw the funniest thing in the world. What's I don't up? know how I missed it the first time. Go, everybody go to page 14. Hang on. Page 14, you say. I'm going to have to estimate when you're there. I'm, uh... I have it in the. Oh, uh, oh I'm on. Uh, yeah, crap. I'm on the DCU app. <laughs> okay. What is it? So it's the one that has um, Martian Manhunter and Jade in the top left corner, and then Alexander Luther in the top right corner doing the Jeb pose. So <laughs> 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 many photoshopped. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there is a there is a part in this in crisis where someone talks about jeb being a loser not jeb bush but so, uh, there's a character named jeb they say is a loser do you know what i'm talking about no yes, i do i made a note of that yes yep i tweeted it out like 50 months ago <laughs> that's two jeb references in this book <laughs> Oh, I gotta work on a Photoshop here. You guys, you guys talk amongst yourselves. Oh, uh, that's really good. You hear? Hang on, I, th I think I found it. Um, it. Says Jeb, the world is filled with winners and losers, but oftentimes even losers win. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Except not Jeb Bush. Yep. Um. Yeah, so I mean, basically, we're we're down to a fight scene here between the Anti Monitor and everybody who's left, basically, um, including Darkseid, who is mm -hmm. who's who's remotely. I, I believe he's not there, like in the throes of the fight, but he's remotely blasting the Anti Monitor through Alexander Luther's eyes. Somehow, yeah. somehow which is yeah. that's a pretty baller move, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, what else? Uh, Zach, talk about your boy Superboy Prime in this. Uh, I mean, he doesn't do a lot. He kind of just helps some people, and uh, he helps Earth-2 Superman fight Anti-Monitor. I, uh... Man. It's so weird reading this Superboy Prime, knowing what he'll become, and I really just, I can't wait till we talk about Infinite Crisis. I really can't. I have so much to say about that book. Uh, not all of it good. Um, but he's just, he's a nice boy in this. Yeah. And that's the next time you see him, I think. I think... Uh... Yeah. In the lead up to, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because at the beginning of that... Uh... At the beginning of that event, I believe they're released from whatever place they're taken to. Yes. Yes, yeah. for, for reasons, yeah. Yeah, for reasons. Yeah. Which we'll, we'll discuss when we talk about that. 
Yeah, I have. Yeah, oh, I have a lot to say about that. I was actually surprised at how little Superboy Prime did in this event. Yeah, he really he doesn't do much. No, and he's such you know he's one of the four characters to survive from the multiverse in Limbo or wherever he is. And I, I remember all four of those characters having a bigger role, but they really don't. Mm-mm. Yeah. Um. So then, you know, the Anti-Monitor is defeated, and we get a bunch of Aftermath-type stuff. Um, Harbinger, it seems, begins writing the kind of the history of the DCU to mm-hmm. whatever satisfaction of the single Earth that we're going to have for the time being going forward. Um, Which, like, you... it's sort of a weird... I'm sorry to interrupt, Vince. It's sort oh, yeah, of like no. a, a weird meta thing how then DC publishes a history of the DC universe right after this, which yeah. seems almost like the the meta meta version of what she's doing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, Vince, I know you've read like all of Wonder Woman. Yeah. What's up, what's up with this? Well, it's just it's just reestablishing. Diana's origin as having come from Clay. Was that not her origin before this, or was it? It it had it was, but it also had gotten changed several times over the. I I don't know. Please, nobody yell at me because I can't keep it all straight. But 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 over the years, like a lot of the Golden Age Wonder Woman stories became Earth Two Wonder Woman stories. Yes. Later, you would. Later, it was determined that, like... Hippolyta was Wonder Woman for a while? Some of, yeah, some of it was actually Hippolyta and not Diana. Some depictions have a Diana that's not... That's actually born uh, as a baby rather than formed from clay, you know? So this is basically just reestablishing that... that this Wonder Woman going forward is Diana. It's the DC thing where they have to reestablish the origin for you for whatever the status quo is now. I think that's simply what's being demonstrated here. And um, that idea continues into uh, Perez's Wonder Woman, although you don't see much of her origin there, if I remember correctly. Actually, there is a... There's a mini series that comes out. I want to say it either coincides with Perez's Wonder Woman or maybe it's slightly before. I think it starts in 86 and it's The Legend of Wonder Woman which that that does retell her origin. Um but you know Perez's doesn't deal with that as much. Uh, the actual Wonder Woman run itself. Um and yeah, so that's all that's about. It's not it's not anything big and earth shattering, but it's a way to, I think, reestablish this origin going forward. Uh, and you see Wally taking up the Flash mantle uh, in earnest. Um, you see you see Jonah Hex thrown into the future, I believe, for mm-hmm. the 1985. Hex post-apocalyptic uh, uh, maxi series. Um, you see Harbinger, Lady Quark, Pariah. They're all remaining. Uh, Commandy grows up to be Tommy Tomorrow, right? Um, 
that's what's being suggested there, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah. And then it all ends with Psycho Pirate. Uh, being the last one, <clears throat> being the last one to remember the multiverse that came before. Uh, it's not the end; it's the beginning of the future. Anything, anything I missed, or anything you guys want to add in all of that? How, how do you feel about how this all ends, Zach? It's, I mean, it's good. <laughs> it's really. It's good. It's really interesting. It's exciting. It's different. Um, I'm like almost tempted to start reading some stuff that comes out of this, but I will not because there's things that I want to read more. And I already know a lot of the stuff that comes out of it in general. And I know that there's a hard break point where I won't want to read anymore um, for a while. Um, so, but it is exciting, and I do wish that events were more like this now. I wish they felt special. I wish that they led to interesting status quo shifts that aren't just like hard reboots or um, temporary status quo changes. Yeah, I think that there's a lot in this final issue it almost gets to Return of the King Syndrome where there's just ending after ending, but it never quite gets that bad. And I think that overall, this series has so many, like we said before, climaxes, but this one really is the only issue that has any sort of resolution. So it really does feel like a conclusion in a way that the other issues did not. Um, this also, it's, it's interesting because I think in my brain... And probably for a lot of people, we think that, okay, as soon as Crisis on Infinite Earths ends, everything restarts. And like we were saying before, that doesn't really happen. I mean, there's still, really, the whole Legends event has to happen to kick off a lot of the stuff that we'd be seeing in the post-Crisis world. We're waiting for Man of Steel, we're waiting for lots of stuff to happen to get all those new stories kick-started. But, this feels... It really does feel like more like a beginning than an ending, and that's pretty remarkable because they were ending up to that point essentially 50 years of comics history. We're not ending it, but drastically changing it. And for it to not feel like a, an ending... I mean, parts of it do, do feel... You understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it does do... The DC event type thing, though, where it teases several things that will become stories later. Yes. Uh, which I think is something that, you know, I, I feel like obviously Marvel does that too. But, but in my comic reading and having read so much Jeff Johns, you know, like he loved to do that stuff. He loved to do it in events. He loved to do it in just his, the regular books he was writing. I feel like that's such a, there's really a never ending story, right? Nothing is ever totally closed off because they always leave a couple plot threads dangling that will spring off into other stories down the road. Um, I also think it's interesting that most of these crises have a backdoor into undoing all the events of it. 
Yeah. You know, like the Dio has said that there was a there was always a way out of Flashpoint. I mean, I mean out of New Fifty Two, you know, that um that they had written in a way to get out. I don't know if they ever used the way that they that they initially wanted to, but uh-huh. it was there, you know. And I feel like that is another staple of crises where there has to be some sort of uh, some sort of way to undo it, way to undo it built into the the, the recipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I wish we could have seen that escape hatch. <laughs> <laughs> We did. It was uh, Dr. Manhattan blowing off Pandora's head. Well, I'm, I would wager that that wasn't the original one, and it it took about, uh, what, four or five years too long to get there. <laughs> You're right. You're right. What if it was, though? <laughs> yeah. We're going to blow her head off. I actually, you know, actually, I wouldn't be surprised if it was because there were all. It ended up being for, before Watchmen, but in the like months after the New Fifty Two started, like there were all of those rumors that they were going to incorporate the Watchmen characters into the DCU, to you know, and all of the conspiracy theories about like the talents being. Night Owl and, and oh, Captain yeah. Adam looked like Dr. Manhattan. And, oh my god. Um, maybe it really was back. then. Maybe it was. Maybe that was the, the actual escape hatch. God, you're taking me back, bro. Yeah. Oh. What if uh, yeah, Captain Adam was like a sleeper agent. He was actually Dr. Manhattan, but he forgot. <laughs> yeah. Written by Damon Lindelof. Ah, Jesus. <laughs> well, it was written by... The real Dr. Manhattan comic, The New 52, was written by the Damon Lindelof of their time, which is J.T. Kroll. <laughs> and on that note, Crisis on Infinite Earths, everyone. It's been great. <laughs> yes. Um, absolutely. Thank you for joining along with us. Uh, Vince, you took point on this one. I'll take point on zero hour. I'll, I'll do the heavy homework for that one. Okay. Oh, Maybe. I did homework regardless. <laughs> I know, but but I'll, I'll I'll take the you know the more uh, whatever. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. Because that that leaves Zachy to do Infinite Crisis. Oh yeah. Okay, that's or, fair. Or would like you rather it. do Would you rather do Final Crisis, Zach? I mean, I could do either. They're both. I have strong feelings about both of them. Well, let's have you do Infinite then for now. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you can find uh, two thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian is an app. I am at Wilker Fox. If you need to find Vince, he will be furiously photoshopping Jeb Bush into many <laughs> Crisis and Infinite Earths panels. <laughs> yep. Are we doing next week's books or what? Yeah, go for it, buddy. Okay, all right. There's actually not much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got Aquaman 58. We got Batman 91. We've got uh, Deceased Unkillables number two. We've got He-Man Masters of the Multiverse number five. We got Justice League 43, Lolo Woods 4, Lucifer 18, Nightwing 70, Plunge 2, the Robin 80th Anniversary 100-page Super Spectacular. Mm-hmm. What? 
What a great title. I'm so glad they called it that. <laughs> That's like the Simpsons 138th episode uh, spectacular. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yep. It's actually more like the first annual Montgomery Burns Award for us to outstanding <laughs> achievement in the field of excellence. Uh, actually, it's more like Kodak film. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Superman. <laughs> <laughs> Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number nine. We got Teen Titans 40. We've got uh, Year of the Villain, Hell Arisen, number four. That's the last issue of that bad boy. Um. And also, this is DC-related, tangentially. I just want to wish, you know, by now, by the time you're listening to this, it will be past his birthday. But it's going to be Al Jaffe's 99th birthday yep. on on Friday, the famous uh, Mad Folden artist. One of the greatest of all time. I grew up on Mad Foldens. I hope he makes it to 100, but happy 99th to Al Jaffe. Yep. What me worry. <laughs> All right, folks, thanks for listening. And what uh, me worry about coronavirus right now, <laughs> am I right? Uh, coronavirus, please. All right, love you guys there. Bye. I Oh, fuck. I can't do this at all. <laughs> <laughs>